welcome to Live the Right Way podcast with Wit and Dre, where we discuss life, literature, and media through a black and a half lens. Well, I'm the black. And I'm the half. And we're so lucky today to be joined by a good friend, Piali Bacharya, uh, editor of the award-winning book, Good Girls, Merry Doctors. For those of you who cannot see the book, because I'm holding it up in our video, I really suggest that you get this. This has been so amazing for us in my household. I, I can't wait to get my copy. I'm so excited to read it. I have uh, read it. Well, piece by piece, because it's an anthology for those of you know who haven't read it. So I haven't actually read it through. I just kind of, oh, let me pick this. Ooh, let me pick that. So Piali, thank you so much for joining us today. I, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. So I guess the, the, the thing that I want to start with is that I identify as South Asian American female artist. And I... Also, because I'm specifically talking to you guys, want to say that I was born in New York City, but raised in Westchester County. And so I know you guys um, are also part of maybe like a Yonkers writing group or something like that. My dad's yeah. office in Yonkers my whole life. My mom still lives in White Plains. I went to Arlington High School. We were just discussing this. These are all things that, that make me feel really excited to be talking to you guys specifically. And thank you so much for having me on, on the podcast because it feels really exciting. I think I grew up feeling kind of alienated from Westchester and it feels really amazing to come back to Westchester via my work and like a POC community, which is like not something I ever thought was going to happen. So thank you so much for having me. I love and that. so, um, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, about myself, um, there are many things to say, which I'm sure will come up, but I, but mostly right now, um, I live in Philadelphia. I am a writer of fiction and nonfiction, and I teach creative writing at the University of Pennsylvania. A woman after my own heart. <laughs> I know, because Philly's like your second home, right? What? Yeah, it is. But oh, also the, the, the creative writing, the teaching creative writing part. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, big time. Yeah, because... What we often talk about, but Whitney did a creative writing program. I'm sorry, where did you do it again, Whitney? Like, I um, always forget. So I, I did, I started a creative writing program at Wilkes University in Wilkes, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. However, I did not finish. So I'm really excited to be able to ask you some questions about your journey. But before that, Dre, do you want to kick us off with a quote of the day? Our first story. Sure. And this comes directly from Good Girls Marry Doctors. So, more, moreover, the idea of India and what made me Indian was entirely dictated to me by my family and their belief structures. While I vis visited the country at least once every two years growing up, my experience with the broader idea of India was always moderated by religion and cultural expectations. Now, I picked this particular quote because it spoke to me like there were several quotes that I had uh, ready for this but for me as also a child of immigrants my parents are Jamaican I definitely related to the idea of always coming back to kind of the homeland but it being directed to me by someone else's experience rather than my own so uh, I think that's like kind of the crux of the book in itself is that it connects people that might be from, I don't know, do you guys use the term diaspora? I didn't, I don't know if you guys, all right. Um, yeah, like from people from the Indian diaspora to the homeland and the way that I guess those of us who are um, 
who've emigrated from or immigrated from like, you know, these countries into America and, um, you know, have to kind of navigate our way through living these kind of two identities. So that really spoke to me. That's beautiful. Yeah. I believe that quote is from an essay by a woman named Trivedi Gandhi, whose essay is really powerful about expectation and, and specifically sometimes around religion. So yeah, thank you for putting that. So can you tell us a little bit about how this book came to be? Yeah, it was a journey. It basically came about in the fall of 2008. I was a graduate student at the University of London in the UK, and I was talking to a lot of people of various different kinds of Asian descent. And remember in the UK, the word Asian is used very differently than it is here in the US. In the UK, the word Asian specifically means South Asian. And so, you know, I was, but, but I also was in a program that was really multicultural and I, and I also had a lot of Americans and specifically Asian Americans in the program that I was in. And so I was just talking to a lot of different kinds of Asian and Asian American and Asian British women about our experiences and are about kind of like the exhausting topic of our identity. And the thing that sort of came up over and over again was the idea that we felt really, really isolated in all of our experiences, particularly our experiences with the people who raised us, whether that was our parents or our guardians or whatever. That it just started hitting me weird that it felt like I had, I had just graduated from college and I just started feeling like, how is it possible that, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to all these women who feel like they are the only ones who have been through this experience, but everyone I talk to is like, oh yeah, I also thought I was the only one. And that, you know, I'm, I'm just by myself and ha I'm having so many conversations in which I feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. And yet everybody feels so isolated. Like that feels really ridiculous. And so I knew kind of immediately that I wanted something multivocal to come out of those conversations. And because I've always been a writer, I, I immediately thought anthology, you know, if I had been a filmmaker, maybe I would have thought films, but like that, I, you know, mm -hmm. I thought anthology because I'm a writer. And so I was looking to put together an anthology of various Asian American women's voices, but it was a very, very difficult experience because I, didn't know what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, you know, I, I had very little experience at the time. I had an English degree from Bryn Mawr College, but that's about it. And I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. And so I went through a period of years in which I just really desperately searched through friends and friends of friends and friends of friends of friends of friends of friends of friends on the internet for for people who would be willing to write for such a volume um and i found many of them and i put together an anthology and i went to publishers and and, and agents and publishers all told me that this is a completely unsellable project and that this is not possible and like nobody basically nobody wants to read about a bunch of brown women complaining this is that this is not wow. a viable piece of work exactly and so it just it got really exhausting to keep hearing that. And at the same time, I was also facing the kind of problem of feeling like, not only am I being told that there's no room in the industry for this project, I, I am also just on a personal level feeling like if we, could, if, if we could just ignore that for one second, if we could just put a pin in that, if we could actually get this, this 
piece out to people, I feel like every time I talk to people about it, I get a big reaction. And so I feel like there could actually be a market for this, even though people keep telling me that there isn't. And I should say that, you know, the night that I had the idea, which was this like fall night in, in like September of 2008, I came up with this title, Good Girls Marry Doctors, kind of immediately. And I, yeah. I, I thought it was a joke. And I thought that like, you know, I, oh, we're gonna get a real title eventually when we actually put this book together. But the reason why the title never changed is that every time I told especially South Asian American women, hey, I wanna contribute to this book called Good Girls Marry Doctors, it was just a huge reaction every time, whether good or bad, there was, there was a reaction every time to that title. It was either like, oh, I know what that means, or like, oh my God, that, you know, like they, it's, it's everybody understands in this community what that title means. And so I was starting to have the feeling that like there is, there is something here and there are other people who are not seeing it. And I think that part of what is hurting is like the fact that I am maybe not querying people to write for the volume who are also writers. I think that what had been happening up until that time is that I had been querying people who were just friends of friends and like, like call for submissions why I have many, 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 many different listservs at the time and like, you know, all different kinds of things. But I wasn't, I was just kind of like floating about in the air, grabbing submissions wherever I could, rather than doing targeted, you know, asks to, to people who were actually writers. And so finally, after the manuscript had been rejected, this was in about 2011 or 12. So we're already like many years into the life of this process, right? Yeah, 2012, after, after the manuscript had been rejected by, I think, over 35 publishers. Oh, wow. I finally so got my final rejection, which was from Aunt Loot Books. And Aunt Loot Books said, we really, really love the heart of this and we love what this could be but it's just not working yet. And also if, if we're gonna do this, we would need money to do it and we don't have that much money. And you know, there are small feminist press in California. And so I'm, I'm really sorry, but this is not gonna happen. And after over 35 rejections, I got this rejection in I think December of 2013. And I was like, that's a no, but it's a good no. And so I was like, I feel like in your no, you're saying yes, though, you know, like, and so I, I love that because yeah, I feel like so many people get like stopped in pursuing really powerful and meaningful projects because they see rejection as rejection rather than feedback or rather than opportunity or like, this is the gap that we need to fix in order to get this off the ground. So I really love that you said that. Yeah, thank you for saying that because nobody else in my life was saying that at the time. Everyone else was kind of like, oh, honey, you have sunk five years into this. Maybe let it go, you know? And I was just like, I'm, I'm going to just hail Mary one last time. I'm just going to try. And so I sent them this email where I was like, I really appreciate everything you said. I get it. I've been feeling too that I think I need to target more writers to write for the volume. And I also think that... I, if, if you're telling me that you need money, how much, how much money do you need? Because I, let, let me see if I can get a grant and raise the money. And so they were like, you're not going to be able to raise that much money. And I was like, try me. And they, oh, yeah. I bet. <laughs> like, and so, so I applied for a grant for the National Endowment for the Arts and I started 
soliciting writers, really, more writers to write for this. Because I think what had been happening before was that I had been asking people to write for the volume who had amazing stories, but they weren't necessarily writers. And so something was getting lost in the translation of, of what was coming on the page. And so, mm -hmm. so I tried again. Um, and I basically redid a whole manuscript from the ground again. And, and I, and I was I'm curious, like not to catch you off, but I'm curious, like doing that. And this is also self-interest because our, our writing group is also doing an anthology. And I'm curious, like how long did it take for you to cultivate that from the ground up? A long, long time, <laughs> a long time, <laughs> a long time, you know, because, and also because like it, the, the second round of submissions, it only got better because I was able to first, first of all, I was also five years older. And at that, by that point, I was in an MFA program. And wait, five I, years. Wait, how long did you this take you total? Nine years. Wow, son, that's crazy. Nine years. Nine years of my life went into this project. Um, wow. And and five years in, I started over from scratch. And so that and but by that time. I myself was more established. I had been writing for a little while. I had a byline. I was in an MFA program by that time. I knew more writers in my life. I just knew what I was doing a little bit more. And I also had the benefit of saying, when I reached out to writers, I had the benefit of saying like, if we do this, there's a chance Outlook Books might be interested. And so I reached out to people and it, like just long, long, long sessions of edits with them. Usually that looked like me getting on the phone with them, sort of walking them through their life story, finding something that is essayable within that, editing that essay over the course of usually two to three years, just going back and forth with them over that essay. Yeah, every essay that's in the book has been edited by, by me for over the course of about two to three years. And, and that's only, the, the essays that made it into the book are only about half the essays that were actually collected for the second volume because we had a lot of people pull out and, and that's kind of the nature of this work too. The nature of this work is to tell the truth about really, really difficult things. And often that means that we wanna write things that are really hard truths to tell. And once we've written them, we realize how hard they are. And, and there were a lot of authors who unfortunately just didn't feel comfortable putting their work on the page, which I completely understand and will never ever hold against anyone. And I'm also therefore really, really grateful to, to the brave people who did put their work out there. And so, yeah, it took a long, long time, but finally in 2016, the book actually did come out. And then, uh, and then we sort of, I, I say, so eight years from the conception of the book and then a ninth year to sort of like, put the book out in the world and, and do sort of like what, what ended up being a bigger book tour than I ever thought would be possible for a project like this. Wow. I, I just want to comment on two things that you said. Number one, that you had to redo the manuscript. So I think that a lot of people enter, I don't even want to say enter the field of writing because I think writing is a field that is accessible to everyone who's willing to take the time to do it the right way. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but I love that you said that because I think a lot of people have this idea about writing, but also weirdly like music and creative arts in general, that like they either have talent or they don't. And if they have talent, it just takes being like discovered by the right person. And then like they're supposed to like blast off into fame and fortune and success. 
So I really love that you said you had to rewrite the manuscript because that is what writing professionally looks like. It's having to do two and three and four and eight and 11 and 27,000 drafts until you're able to meet the expectations of your publisher, but also like preserve the authenticity of, of the project that you're trying to put out there. And it can be a very time consuming process. And my question for you is now that like, so I'm sure in the midst of it, that those nine years felt like forever, but now like looking back, do you feel like it was like a short or really long time or somewhere in between? I am realizing that that's a great question, by the way. And thank you so much for saying that because I, I do really think that so, so much of writing and any creative work is just spending time with the thing and asking more of yourself and asking more of yourself for the thing. And it's really, it's, it, it is not at all a process of being just discovered. It is a process of extraordinary hard work. And, and I, I often tell students that like, if you're going to go into the arts, you actually have to work so much harder than people who have like quote unquote office jobs, because those people get directives from their bosses and their leaders and their team leaders and whatever, do this by this time, hand it in by now, it has to be like this and then do it this way. We have no such directive. We have to expect the most of ourselves and you know, whether or not it's ready for publishers, it doesn't really matter if it's not ready for you. And that it's, you know, now that I, when I think about the process, I am realizing that I am the kind of writer who will not let go of a piece of work until I find it to be 100% the thing I set out to create. And I am not particularly interested in what the industry or what other people have to say about it until I feel like I am really ready to let go of the work. I'm sure this will come up later, Dre. I think you wanted to ask me a question about this later, but I am currently working on a novel which I have been working on for 11 years. And wow. that, I, you know, that similarly, I don't, I like now that I think about it, I think nine years was not too long. You know, I, and I just, just well, today I was reading an interview with my, one of my creative writing mentors and advisors when I was in graduate school, her name is Danielle Evans, and she's just one of the most brilliant short story writers I've ever known. And she has a new book coming out this week, I believe. And, and she, she said in an interview recently that, that so often she comes across a book that she wishes the author had spent a little more time sitting with but never ever has she come across a book and said, hey, I wish I had read this last year, you know? Um, and mm. that just really resonated with me because I just felt like, yeah, actually, you spend over a decade writing a book or you spend almost a decade writing a book and like, there are so many moments where you just think like, why am I, why am I bothering? This is ridiculous, this is insane, you know? But I think that if you are able to put out into the world the work that you wanted to create, the timeline doesn't really matter. Well, actually, this kind of piggybacks into one of the questions I wanted to ask you. All right, so connecting to your identity a little bit. In a lot of South Asian households, like writing is not usually considered like a successful path, right? So what made you kind of like deviate and go down the, like, you know, the road less travel? Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm really lucky in a couple of ways. One is that I have been a writer from 
I, I don't know the time I was conscious. Like it, I, I have known that I'm a writer from a remarkably shockingly young age. Like I'm talking like four five, six years old. Like I started writing short stories in my little notebooks, like, and, you know, printing them out for my mom. Like that, like I have known that that is what I am. Like it, it was not even a discussion that I would be anything else. Like it was not even on the table. You know, I tried AP bio in high school and that did, did not work at all. And I, and I only did it because I thought this is what people do to go to college. But it was clear just from, I mean, I, to my parents, to my whole family, it was just blatantly obvious that this was what I was doing from the time I was really, really young. I don't think a lot of people have that kind of clarity. Some people really do. I was one of the lucky people that did. I've known that this is my passion from the, from the time I can remember. But so because it was so clear and because I was so clear about it from the time I was such a young child, my family, it just, it, they didn't really have a choice. Like that's just what it was. And there was never a discussion about it. And I think the other thing that makes me really lucky is that I'm not the only writer in my family. Uh, my mom was a writer and, mm. and was a poet specifically and didn't pursue poetry professionally or pursue writing professionally after she had children, but she did uh, you know, her, her master's degree is uh, in English literature from NYU and she's, that's, that's like who she is. And so she was, I think, really excited to have somebody who was as excited about literature in her home as I was. And some of my best memories as a child is just like going to the library or the bookstore with her and, and with my parents and, and just reading and reading together. And, and she would have me memorize poetry because she just really believes that like poems that, ha that are memorized in your youth, like the words stay in your brain in a different way. And I really agree with her now. Back then I didn't, but now I do. <laughs> um, and so, so I'm just really lucky in a couple of different ways that, um, that writing was never, it was, it was, I mean, honestly, even if, even if it were controversial, it just wouldn't have mattered. It's all I can do. It's the only thing I can do. Mm -hmm. It's always been the only thing I've ever, I was ever going to do. I love that. So can you tell us a little bit about how you became a creative writing professor? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this is something that I, I have so many thoughts about this, partially because I think that some of my thoughts begin with the concept of mentorship. Mm -hmm. I am somebody who, like I just said, knew I was a writer and was a creative writer from a very, very young age. I, I went into college declaring an English major. I knew that that was what I was doing. And yet I didn't get to the MFA until I was 29 years old. Mm -hmm. And that's because I didn't know what an MFA was. I didn't, I wasn't, nobody told me. You know, I'm the child of immigrants and my, my wonderful, wonderful immigrant parents were very supportive of what I wanted to do, but they had never done it in this country before and they didn't know. And I didn't, I, I wasn't told by a single creative writing teacher or professor I ever had, hey, you are not terrible at this. Have you heard of an MFA? Like I've never, I was never told that, which is, you know, at the time, I was just like, oh, that's probably normal. And now, now that I teach students, now I'm just like, no, wait, I talk to my students about this all the time. You know, how is it possible that I didn't know that this is a thing that one can do? I went and did an MA in literary studies and cultural and literary studies because I thought that was the path. I didn't understand that's what my mom had done. That I thought that was the path. I didn't understand, that's what I was doing in the UK right after college, and I, I didn't understand that there was a creative writing program in which one could get 
paid to mm. go and hone creative writing skills. I thought one gets the MA because that's what leads to a job that one is qualified for. And then I worked for many years in journalism and publishing and all kinds of these, these kinds of like writing adjacent jobs in my twenties. I, I worked in, on all these kinds of jobs and I'm really grateful for all of those experiences. Really good for a writer to know how publishing works, how, you know, journalism works, all of those things. But I, I think a lot about why it took me until I was 29 to enroll in a fiction program. And, and I think it was really because I just didn't know that that was a thing you could do. And I didn't know that that was a viable thing to do. I thought, okay, well, how does one, you know, make money by writing? You have to write about useful things. You know, you have to, you can't just start making up stories in your head. Nobody's going to pay you for that, you know? And so because, uh, because it took me so long, um, I, the one, the one thing I will say um, in, in time's favor is that when I got to the MFA, um, I was really, really ready to go. And I knew exactly what I was doing and I knew exactly the projects I was working on and I knew exactly why I was there and I, I was ready to work extremely hard as soon as I got there. And one of the reasons why I wanted to be there was that I knew that the MFA qualifies you to, to teach at the university level. And, um, you know, and, I, and there were a lot of other reasons to go to the MFA at the time. I really needed guidance and some, some sort of structure and, and, a, and a, a, a fictional world. Um, people who, who take fiction seriously and work in fiction seriously, I needed all of those things. Um, and, and the MFA gave me all of those things. But, um, but also I was at the MFA because I knew that I could be qualified to teach at the university level after this, which was a dream for me. And, but, I, I, but I should say that I, was all, I also went in eyes wide open. I fully understand that it is not a median outcome for people who have MFAs to, to then have permanent jobs teaching at the university level. It is not, uh, it's, it's a very rare outcome, but I figured at, at, at whichever level I can make that happen, I'm happy to make it happen. And so, you know, if it, if it means adjuncting for however long at whatever college I'm, I'm happy to make that happen because I love teaching and I love talking to students and I love talking to college students particularly and and I'd love to be able to make that happen. And then I just got really lucky. I think, um, you know, again, I, I got in, in age's favor because I, because I was able to have such a clear vision for what I wanted from the MFA as soon as I got there. Mm. I was able to pull a lot of things together. I was able to pull good girls together while I was there. And good girls came out pretty much the second I graduated from the MFA. It, just, it started doing really well pretty much immediately. And, um, and I was, you know, working on this novel manuscript um, and I was hired pretty much immediately as writer in residence at Vanderbilt University in their uh, creative writing program. So for the last four years, I've been teaching creative writing at Vanderbilt, um, which has been just a tremendously satisfying and like just soul satisfying experience. And yeah, just just this summer, moved jobs, um, and uh, I'm now living in Philly. And actually, I, I'm not teaching at Penn yet, but I will be starting next fall. Like as a novice writer, this is like such a an amazing thing to like listen to and hear about. And it also kind of makes me feel like in my head where I'm like, this is taking forever. Apparently, it's not taking long enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because you get so frustrated. It's like. I've been working on like chapter eight or nine for a solid year of a book I've, I started like, you know, a while ago. And I'm like, all right, well, this seems like the way, <laughs> like this is kind of like the path, the road. It's supposed to take this long if you want to write something. It really is, it really is. I've, I mean, you know, just to make you feel better, 
I was working on something this morning from chapter two of the thing that I'm working on, and I have notes, I have track changes notes to myself in the Word document from 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020. All four of those years, I have track change comments on that one chapter, and I'm still working on it. Wow. Wow. So uh, I... Uh... I'll just share really quickly um, about how I can relate. So I, um, when I was in undergrad, I was, uh, I was a lit major, I was an English major and I was uh, kind of like toggling back and forth between do I do my concentration in education or do I do my concentration in creative writing? And I actually had one of my professors talk me into doing my concentration in literature. So I um, didn't go with like either of the original ones that I wanted to. And the way she broke it down, like kind of made sense. But in retrospect, I feel like there was like a devaluing of creative writing as a degree. And like, I can appreciate that now. Like, um, w one of the reasons being because I ended up enrolling in a graduate program um, for creative writing which hearing what you said about like being ready and ready to work hard like really resonated with me what i will say about that program i met a ton of wonderful people um and the um, instructors were amazing however they really sort of like that program really emulated the experience of being a professional writer which i was not ready for i was not ready to like churn out work for deadlines and when um my mentor handed me back like the part of my manuscript that i did and said like you just need to be more descriptive you need to like do this and i was kind of like okay well how like you're supposed to teach me um and that's an experience that i just was not prepared for and i didn't finish so i don't remember where i was going with that but <laughs> Yeah, I, I started, so that sp specific manuscript that I was working on, I started at the end of my undergrad um, career and I spent three years working on it in grad school. So like I've spent a total of, I think that makes like six years that I worked on that project. And like at best, like I'm a third of the way through a complete first draft, so. That's okay. Mm -hmm. That's how long it takes sometimes. Yeah. So good. Take time. All right. So I want to switch it up, lighten it up a little bit. Well, I mean, it's been like this whole time, but I want to like ask some like some fun, fundamental. I mean, sorry, um, not fundamental. <laughs> fun <laughs> questions, <laughs> hypotheticals, right? So um, I'm curious. Wait. Shoot. Um, can I interrupt you? Shoot, shoot, shoot. Just real quick before you ask your fun questions. Um, can you? Are you, are you willing to give any details about the the book you're working on now? I want to save that to the end. We'll, we'll time out. I want to save all that stuff like what she's working on to like the end. Is that cool? My bad. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. So if you could pick one writer to learn from, who would it be? And if you could pick one uh, to hang out with, who would it be? Hmm. Okay. Oh, that's such a that's such a good set of questions. Um. So I think that the term "learn from" um my my sort of counter question to that is learn what like mm -hmm. learn um for me the word learn means many things um 
if I just could pick one writer who I could learn just utter bravery, a combination of real bravery in, in sort of truth-telling um, and thinking about how to research a thing in order to tell the truth about it and thinking about how to be fearless in the face of potential blowback to what you're gonna say. Um, and in terms of also just at the sentence level, really paying attention to beauty and language. Um, for me, that writer is just always gonna be Arunhati Roy. Um, she's just extraordinary when it comes to being so brave and so thoughtful about what she wants to say about the world um, and being also just at, at a sentence level, just a just an extraordinary wordsmith. Um, so um, to learn from her, not just her writing skills, but her heart of a writer skills um, would be amazing. Um, the second part of that, of the learn what, for me was really about learning craft um, because I think I always had a set of things that I wanted to talk about. I don't think content was as much of an issue for me. Um, I've always had things that I wanna say. I think it's partially growing up, you know, brown in the United States. I think it's partially growing up very far away from what my parents call their homeland. I think it's partially, you know, like being somebody who didn't feel like they had community for a very long part of her life. Like, um, I've always known what it is that I that I'm at least interested in asking questions about, at least interested in discussing. What I didn't know and what I really needed the MFA for was craft. I had some kind of like horse instinct about craft that yeah. um, I just from being a reader, but I didn't have on the ground craft skills, and I um, could not have appreciated the people I actually did learn from more. Um, and my mentors at Wisconsin were Judith Claire Mitchell and Danielle Evans. And I just, for the rest of my life, will be thanking them because they gave me the gift of craft. Um, and I really am so grateful for their work in the world. And I'm so grateful for the time they took to, to read my manuscript and to tell me where I wasn't making enough time for my characters and where I, where I wasn't creating enough space for them. And, um, and I'm, really, I'm really grateful to them for that. Okay. Um, in terms of who I would hang out with, you know, I'm really glad you asked that question because I think that, I mean, of course, you know, we can all name sort of like writers who we would want to invite to a fictional dinner party. But I think that for me, the more important part of that question has actually been the community of writers I have actually physically had to create in the last several years. Mm -hmm. um, and I can genuinely say now that the writers I want to hang out with most are the writers who are now my friends. And I think that to me is a really, like I, I, I say that with a lot of pride because I worked really hard for it. Um, I worked really hard to create a community of writers. Good Girls was partially that. It was partially me just looking for other women who wanted to write about this. Um, and a lot of my community now comes from the women who wrote for that volume. Um, you know, a, a lot of my writing of, you know, community also comes um, just from, knowing writers in, in the world and making sure to keep in touch with them and making sure to make space for them in my life and making sure that I read their books and then reach out to them after I read their books and you know you know all of these things um, I'm really grateful for and so I feel like it's taken a really long time but to have created a community of writers that I actually feel like hanging out with now that's that's cool and that's part of what 
I'm, I can say, you know, writers can never say that they're satisfied with their work. And I'm, and I'm never, satisfied. I'm really satisfied with my community. And that's really lovely. That is beautiful. Um, all right. So to what you were going to ask before, I do want to kind of like touch a little bit on what you're working on right now. Yeah, so what I'm working on right now is a novel. Um, like I said, it's a novel that I've been working on for about 11 years. Um, I started it around the same time that I started the Good Girls Project, um, um, and, and the Good, and Good Girls just wrapped up faster than this did. Yeah. And, um, and so I, um, you know, again, it, it has taken a really, really long time, partially because um, I needed to work through some drafts and then go to the MFA, then learn all about craft and then work through some more drafts. Um, I would say that in 11 years, I've now written the novel four full times. Um, that is not even counting the, the numerous drafts of each chapter yeah, that goes I don't into mean to cut chapter. you off, but like when you say that, you mean to tell me you got the, to the completion, you did 50,000 words, 100,000 words, whatever your limit was, and then you said, yeah. nah, let's go back to the drawing board. Four times. Four times, that is correct. Yeah. yeah. And it really like, and you know, again, like <laughs> if you, I, I'm a very specific person to ask these questions to. There are, there are lots of people who would have taken that, especially that third draft, which was the draft I wrote in the MFA. And, and, you know, that was a draft that, that had some amount of interest in it from agents and editors. And, and, you know, there, there was a, there was a version of me that could have published that draft. Mm -hmm. I decided not to because I decided after I got out of the MFA and I started teaching, I all of a sudden decided, yeah, I now, now that I finished the MFA, now I have the tools. Now I have the full, I'm, now I'm working with the full tool set. Like why would I, you know, put something out in the world that wasn't created with all the tools I have, you know? Gee, um, integrity, my friend. It's like deep, deep integrity. Yeah, or, or you know, psychosis, which, whichever one. But <laughs> integrity of the project, psychosis for you. <laughs> um, but yeah, but that's that's the novel that I'm working on. It, it it's also taken this long partially because it requires a lot of research. It's about undocumented immigrants in New York, um, wow. and um, so it has required a tremendous amount of research um, that I've done. This is a fiction book, correct? Yeah, so oh, wow. All right. Can't wait to see this. And would you say it's contemporary? Very like, much so. yeah, yeah, very much so. Oh, like it. Now, if you, so you said you've done it, you've said you've completed four drafts of it. Um, when do you think, if you had to put a date on it, and we can, we can narrow it down to a year <laughs> or two, or um, you think it would. I, I have put so many dates on it. I have put deadlines on it so many, many, many times. I have done it, I, you know, every year. I'm like, I mean, ask all of my friends. January 1st of every year, every single one of them for the last 10 years has got a text from me. This is the year, guys. This is the year. <laughs> it's never the year. It's still not the year. So, you know, like, so I don't know. I'll let you know, but I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. That's definitely. I respect yeah. that. Um, now, just like to close this out, like, we don't normally do this, but I thought it was interesting because you said at the beginning you wanted to ask us some questions. So what questions yeah. would you have for Whit and I? 
Well, I mostly just wanted to know, like, what are what are you guys working? Like, how do you define yourselves as writers? Ooh, Whitney, would you like to go first? Oh, that's a wonderful question. Um, yeah, sure. So I um. I, like many writers, am the queen of unfinished projects. So I um, actually, my, so I had a really, really influential um, professor during my undergrad experience. Um, his name is Salar Abdo, shout out to Salar, um, who totally like influenced me to pursue um, writing. Um, but anywho, like at the very end of my undergraduate uh, career, I started the novel that I brought to um, grad school, which was a medieval historical fantasy-ish cool. kind of um, novel. And yes, I spent a lot of time on that. And then like ultimately I had to just put it in the drawer. So that one's in the drawer right now. Um, in my, my, in my graduate program, I had you, your first semester, you can um, take uh, fiction classes and screenwriting classes. So I pursued the screenwriting and like, I actually hated screenwriting, but here I am, like, I do a lot of screenwriting also. Um, but still like in the drawer, like unfinished projects. Because of our writing group, I find myself writing a lot Yonkers of poetry and group. I wrote a lot of poetry Yonkers when I was in group. high school. Yes, the Yonkers writing group, follow us on Instagram. Um, so because of the group, our group is largely poets. Dre and I are actually two of the only fiction writers in there, but because they're largely poets, um, I end up writing a lot of poetry um, just because they put me in that like poetic yeah. mood, but oh, and we're work we're actually working on an anthology um, based on a prompt that just like one of our one particular writing session really kind of united all of us. Um, and that prompt is, um, who do you think you are, and who do you have the audacity to be? Um, so we're working on that December twenty twenty. Stay tuned. Um, and then uh, my, my latest personal project that I'm committed to finishing one draft of because I'm tired of being the writer that doesn't finish any project and starts a million projects um, is a YA, um, contemporary YA story um, about a, two high school students that uh, from different paths that come together in order to save their community's comic book store. Oh, beautiful. Can't wait to see. I really can't wait to see how this turns out. Shout out to Allegra. But because we yeah, we yes. work we work on these things during writing group. So we're familiar with uh characters. Yeah. I'm a I'm a first-time teacher. I teach um high school English, um, 10th and 11th grade. So since starting teaching, I've spent a lot less time working on yeah. that, but I'm realizing that like, okay, like either I'm gonna, I'm gonna build the discipline to like be a writer and pursue writing projects whilst also pursuing a career um, or I'm not and I'm never gonna have discipline in any area of my life. So I'm hoping to finish that project. That's all? Well, no, I'm hoping to finish a draft 
in 2021. That's all, that's all we can ever hope for. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, for me, so I'm kind of simultaneously like working on like three or four things, obviously our anthology, um, which I've been doing the editing for, but I haven't actually submitted a piece yet. Cause I'm like so scared to like, you know, hand in something that's not good because I'm probably gonna be one of few people doing a short story. Cause like the, a lot of our other contributors are doing poems. So I feel like there's a, I don't want to say pressure, but I feel a certain kind of pressure, I guess, to like produce something that engages our audience in a way that the other people don't have to. So I don't know. It's just like, but it's probably my own thing building up in my own head, but that as well as, um, so I'm like, I've been working on, I guess, a fictional nonfiction or nonfiction fictional, uh, depiction of a uh, new and I's story. Cause, uh, one of her cousins was like, you know, our love story is like very unique, like, you know, especially within the South Asian community, um, which kind of like, um, which is kind of how I found the Blinium project, but you know, that's something separate. Um, and I've been working on that. It was gonna be just for our friends and family. Like I was just gonna do it as part of like uh, something like to hand out, like either during an engagement party or during a wedding or whatever, like, you know, it's like, all right, guys, like, this is how it kind of all unfolded. And it's kind of like morphed into something else because, um, you know, we've gotten interest from um, people within the Blindian community that they actually really wanted to see this. So um, like, the, it's like more because I had to like, you know, take out uh, the real people in our lives. Like there's certain personal things in there that I just don't want everyone knowing about especially because i don't want to embarrass anybody in our families and uh the project i've been working on the fictional project that i've been working on uh is basically a series uh, about a bunch of uh black and brown kids with magic because it started with what if the harry potter worlds were just uh black and brown kids what would that look like and what would it look like if i'm sorry what'd you say I'm just saying what I'm just, just being cheeky, but I'm just saying what if what if Harry Potter paid attention to any country other than Britain? Oh, that that was the, that was the other that was the other point too. Lane. what if it took place in America? What would that look like? So um, I have to say really quickly, I think that like those stories that start with one idea end up like producing like the most creative and interesting projects. Yeah. So I'm dying, dying, dying for Dre to, I can't even say finish. Like I'm just dying for you to like pump out something that's like good enough to like get me going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and also like, I was, like, like something that came out of, like I, I'm almost finished with a short story that came out of one of our, um, like one of our prompts in writing group, like, and it just happened to be just about like my life growing up in Westchester as like, you know, being a black kid who went to private school and just like, you know, dating girls that were outside of my, my culture or my race that kind of like turned into like something that made the news. So I was like, all right, you know what? That could be fun. So that's been fun. But yeah, so that's basically been my litany of projects. Well, I'm sorry, what did you say? No, that's awesome. It's really exciting to hear what you guys are both working on. Yeah. Yeah. Or in my case, not working on because 
It's <laughs> a joke I always make. Um, I actually had um, a question for you, Piali. So you, not only are you, not only have you been through um, a graduate creative writing program, but you're, you also teach creative writing. Um, do you have any craft books that you would recommend? You know, you'd think I would. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I tend, I've never found a book that is specifically about craft that teaches me more than just a novel does. Mm. Um, and I think Very that, um, you know, I, I've never been taught creative writing by a craft book. I've never taught creative writing with a craft book. I've only ever been taught and I've only ever taught creative writing with actual creative writing. Um, and I think that for me, that that always trumps craft books. But I know that there are a lot of writers who don't think that and who really believe in, in certain kinds of craft books and that's super valid and I, and I would love to know what they are. I've just, I've just never tried it. Um, yeah. What I'm used to. I will say that um, one of the books that I found to be, and I have like a bunch, like I wish I could show you all of them. Um, one of the books, the book that I found to be most helpful is On Writing by Stephen King. A lot of people say um, that, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like he's, I feel like he really speaks to the like discipline aspect of being a writer. Being like, writer. He said he kind of says like, listen, like you have talent or you don't, <laughs> and you just gotta sit down and and do it and be disciplined. Absolutely, you know, there's this great story from uh, when I was in the graduate program. Um, there was a friend of one of the writers in the program who came to visit, um, and so you know we had this tradition of like after workshop we'd all go to the bar, and so. Um, she came to the bar with us um, and we were all sort of talking about what had happened in workshop and then we were just hanging out for a little while and then by about like I don't know it wasn't even that late 10 30 maybe maybe 11 at the very latest we were all like okay time to go and you know this friend who was visiting was like wait what do you mean like you guys are artists I thought artists were all about like you know drinking whiskey till four in the morning and then writing in a haze and then just passing out and then being blacked out the next day but then like they created something genius you know and i'm just like <laughs> literally all of us were like no we all have to get up at 8 30 in the morning and have our coffee and be at our desks and write all damn day long in order to produce even 200 words that we find acceptable you know like yeah. that is our life right. every single day and it's really boring and it's really hard and it's the only way to do it writing the ultimate endurance sport that's going to be a shoot it really is it really is yeah yeah the other book that i've read and um this was a book that was actually recommended to me by one of the alums of the program that i went to um we had met at a writing conference and um he recommended the book from where you dream I don't remember the writer's first name, but it, the last name is Butler. And again, like reading that book, it was more about like the discipline of like writing at the same time every day, writing in the same place every day. That author is also a creative writing pr professor. So he actually included um, some of the assignments that like his students did. 
So that, that book was kind of cool because it was like capturing that experience of like being in a creative writing program, um, in a book form, but super cool. Yeah. Those are the, those are the two books that I really got a lot out of, obviously not enough to finish a project, but no, that's still. amazing. I have a Stephen King book. I'll have to check out the other book and I, I want to read both of them because yeah, that, that would be a great tool if, if, if it's something that comes across and it, it really hits. Yeah. So fun. So, um, what was I Oh, you say? have another question? Uh, I thought so, but it's, it's. You killed me. me. <laughs> but can you, can you, uh, close us out with your quote, please? Yes. So I was telling Dre that I found this, found this HuffPost article on Good Girls Marry Doctors. Yeah, I don't know, I yeah. assume, have you read it? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so. So I read the article, the The author of the article um, was half white, half Sri Lankan, and yeah. like identified heavily with the book and made me really excited to read it. <laughs> so. The um, this this quote is how she closed out um, the article. She said, I think we can agree that all most of us ever wanted in our childhoods and beyond was to not feel so alone. And Good Girls Marry Doctors accomplishes, accomplishes this marvelous feat per perfectly. Yeah. And that really spoke to me because I feel like, and I think you actually said something to this effect um, towards the beginning of the episode. I think that writing is so important because it allows untold stories to be told and stories help unite people and let people know that they're not alone so i think it really spoke to that and um I, I I said this before we started recording that as a biracial person i can relate to the experience of navigating two worlds and I know that Drake and being a black nerd in Westchester, growing up a black nerd in Westchester, can relate to the experience of navigating two and worlds. So, and being, and being Jamaican, son of Jamaican mm -hmm. immigrants. So I think that um, this book, like I'm sure there are a lot of South Asian people who, you know, saw this book and were just like, oh yes, like this speaks to me, but like it already speaks to me because I can, you know, relate to that experience. Also, I will say one of my all time favorite movies, this is low key embarrassing, except I'm unashamed. Um, one of my all time favorite movies is Lemonade Mouth, which is a Disney Channel movie. The only person of color in the cast is Indian. And like, she talks throughout the movie about like, being like never being like the perfect Indian daughter, but also never being like a normal American teenager. Sounds like Benda like Beckham too. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like that is I'm really excited. I'm just really excited to to read the book. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. All right. I think that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you so, so much for doing this interview. Westchester strong. Westchester strong. <laughs> Way to rep Westchester well. <laughs> Sorry, I froze. Sorry, I missed that whole thing. I froze. <laughs> <laughs> I was just saying like, wait to wep, wep. Now I can't speak anymore. 
way to rep Westchester well. And yeah, I look forward I look forward to reading Good Girls, Marry Doctors, but I'm also looking forward to your for your book when it comes out. Thank you. Yeah, let's let's hope for that. <laughs> and post COVID, <laughs> nonsense is over. We can actually like have you come to writing group. That'd be great. Yeah, that would be awesome. I'd love that. Yeah. All right, awesome. Well, I think that uh wraps it up. Thank you guys this so much. Work the right way with Dre and Wit. Thank you guys. And Piali. <laughs> Thank you guys. Oh, wait, and we got this. Oh, oh did you knock? Oh, did you... oh my God. Please don't ever do I know, that I again. tried. I tried. I had to do something for the it clips. Was, was... I had to do something for the clips for uh, <laughs> Super Producer Jamel. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right, on that note, we're out. Bye, guys.